You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome. Welcome to the Saturday edition of Whitlock Weekly Firestarters. I am Jason Whitlock. Uh, thanks. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, our week of shows. It was a phenomenal week of shows, even if I do say so myself. Firestarters were awesome. We started with toddlers in Minnesota, in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area, captured on tape, berating, cursing at throwing punches at police officers there to investigate a murder. These are what I call children of a lesser George, children of George Floyd, not George Washington. Take a listen to this. It's police, Minneapolis police in this Minneapolis St. Paul area showing up to investigate a potential murder suspect. And two of the officers that are standing out on the street are confronted by a host of young people. Some of them clearly as young as two or three still in diapers. They're out there clothless. And those young people are shouting profanities, taking swings at. They've clearly been radicalized uh, by this anti-police movement we have going on here in America. Uh, defund the police, particularly in Minneapolis, where George Floyd is has been venerated for the last two years and we've started the Juneteenth George Floyd holiday season. It's not shocking to me that young people, children, toddlers, babies have been caught up in the anti-police sentiment. Some of you could sit there and say, hey, well, the police deserve it. And Derek Chauvin brought this on them. I'm just sorry. That's just not true. I look at those young kids and I see kids that have virtually no chance at life. I, it, watching that video made me think of the movie Children of a Lesser God. And this is a 1986 movie, has nothing to do with police or, or violence or any of that, but just Children of a Lesser God was a movie about uh, William Hurt, I think was the lead character, and he's teaching at a deaf school. And he, he is, falls in love with a woman who had graduated from this deaf school who refused to speak and uh, 
they have this love affair, but it, it's it's all about connecting the hearing world, a hearing person trying to connect with someone from a different world, a deaf person, someone who who can't uh, hear and who who can't speak either. Th- this particular woman, it's like two worlds colliding and the name of the movie Children of the Lesser God is is basically kind of playing off like these kids. And again, it's not the greatest title, but it's what they're trying to convey is these kids come from a different God than those of us who are blessed with hearing and the ability to talk and whatever. And they call it Children of a Lesser God. It's a very good movie. And so when I'm watching this video, I'm going, these are children of a lesser George. See, George Floyd, whether we like it or not, and I know the leftists, the woke people who are going to scream, their heads are going to explode, but we're venerating George Floyd now in this era, not George Washington. And so this era of kids are, are being children of a lesser George. We used to venerate George Washington. I hear the leftists, oh, George Washington owned slaves. He was terrible. George Floyd, all he did was like fentanyl, and he's a victim, and he got killed by uh, Derek Chauvin. He got killed by his drug abuse, and Derek Chauvin uh, contributed. Not going to deny that. But this whole veneration of George Floyd, and, and we're creating children who have been radicalized and hate the police and that child, children in diapers that are taking swings at and cursing at the police. Potentially one day will be the same kids that get pulled over for a routine traffic stop, hop out of the car and either run away from the police or attack the police or refuse to cooperate with the police and end up in harm's way. The lack of respect for authority and the lack of respect for a male authority figure. All of this stuff is frightening and heartbreaking. That 30 second video, and from what I understand from Sheila Qualls' story, and we'll have Sheila on here in a second, the video actually goes on for two, two and a half minutes. They only show a 30 second clip. But the attack and and the disrespect from these toddlers goes on for an extended period of time and there seem to be teenagers or older kids around who are spurring them on, who are also shouting profanities at the police. There's like a world that we have created for poor black and brown kids where we are convincing them that their mission in life is to hate the police and authority. And that the blackest thing they can do is to hate the police. And again, this and then we're this elite society and the rest of society that's not black, brown and poor live in a different world where we pay for the police to come protect us. We call the police whenever there's a problem or trouble. We, we may sit on TV and pretend like we hate the police, but in reality, we get along quite well with law enforcement and we have respect for law enforcement. And you'll never see LeBron James acting uh, 
in a hostile manner towards law enforcement. He'll never, you know, he may pay the bill of the people out rioting and looting, but he ain't gonna go riot and loot. And that's, again, looking at those kids, those are like, those are looters and rioters in training. We have failed. We have failed. This, my generation has failed young people. We have allowed this sort of cultural rot to take root in too many communities and in the minds of too many young people. And uh, again, I, I don't, Sheila wrote a, a great story about this and has her own thoughts that are somewhat different than mine. You know, this, the George Floyd connection that I'm drawing, she certainly didn't in her story for Alpha News where this story has been reported. I don't see much of the mainstream media picking up on this, but this is a sad, poignant, important story that we need to put in people's faces. These are the ramifications of this hostile culture we've built towards law enforcement. We're radicalizing kids. We're turning them into domestic terrorists, for lack of a better description. This is the same stuff with Al-Qaeda allegedly radicalizing people. That's what we've done to young people. Tuesday, we kept talking about kids. Seven kids in Philadelphia accused of beating a 73-year-old elderly man to death it looked like a scene from Lord of the Flies. It's kind of the theme of my fire starter, Lord of the Flies, and how th these kids have been left undiscipled, unguided, and they've turned to depravity and sanity and violence. Whew. Take a listen to this. Beelzebub killed James Lambert, a 73-year-old Philadelphia man. Beelzebub is one of the seven princes of hell. In biblical times, Beelzebub was a god worshiped in Ekron. He could fly. Beelzebub means Satan. In popular culture, he's known as Lord of the Flies. The video of seven children stoning and beating James Lambert to death in the streets of Philadelphia reminded me of the iconic 1954 William Golding novel, Lord of the Flies. The book explores the barbaric and cannibalistic descent of a large group of young boys who survive an airplane crash on an uninhabited island. Lord of the Flies features seven main characters, Ralph, Jack, Simon, Piggy, Roger, Sam, and Eric. The initial alliance among the boys disintegrates into chaos as they're overtaken with paranoia about an imaginary monster. They call him the Beast. Lord of the Flies is one of the greatest novels ever written. It expertly depicts man's battle with morality and immorality, groupthink and individualism, logic and emotion. Children left unguided and unsupervised descend into wickedness. That's what killed James Lambert. Police in Philadelphia believe seven children are responsible for the death of Lambert. Last week, law enforcement released surveillance video showing four black boys and three black girls stalking Lambert at 3 a.m. 
a young black girl appears to club Lambert over the head with a pylon street cone. Other kids are accused of hitting him with rocks and kicking him. The video looks like a scene from Lord of the Flies 2.0. Or maybe it's a mashup of Lord of the Flies and The Purge. Unsupervised children on the uninhabited streets of Philadelphia at three in the morning terrorized an old man. This is a crisis of the cultural rot black America has chosen to ignore and or embrace at the behest of the Democratic Party and the Hollywood elite. The imaginary beast is white supremacy. We spend nearly every waking moment paranoid that the Proud Boys or the Patriot Front or Trump supporters are terrorizing black people. We falsely claim that routine police stops could result in any of us being the next George Floyd. Well, I don't use fentanyl, and I don't bicker with the police. There's virtually no chance of me being the next George Floyd or Eric Garner or Jacob Blake. That's a paranoid delusion the Democratic Party has asked black people to embrace. I reject it. No woman in my house will ever be the next Breonna Taylor. I'm not a coward. I won't allow a woman to walk to the front door with me if I believe intruders are trying to enter my home. I'll leave her in safety and deal with the problem myself. I choose to live in reality and disavow delusion. The truth is too many black children are living in a Lord of the Flies reality. They live on uninhabited islands with little to no adult supervision. There are too many fatherless homes and way too many baby mamas. Black children are descending into depravity and insanity. It's not just in Philadelphia. The video out of Minneapolis showing toddlers barefoot and in diapers berating and attacking police is another scene from Lord of the Flies 2.0. Beelzebub has his hooks in our children. Yes, the same goes for too many white children as well. But that's a deflection, a whataboutism. 75% of black children are born to unwed mothers. That's an uninhabited island, a recipe for violence and chaos. White people are not in denial that something is going wrong with their kids. They go on national television and talk about it constantly. They complain about the decline in traditional family structure and all the drugs their kids are using. Take a look from their sergeant in arms, Tucker Carlson. Would you sell a gun to that guy? Does he seem like a nutcase? Of course he does. So why didn't anyone raise an alarm? Well, maybe because he didn't stand out. Maybe because there are a lot of young men in America who suddenly look and act a lot like this guy. It's not an attack, it's just true. Like Cremo, they inhabit a solitary fantasy world of social media, porn, and video games. They're high on government-endorsed weed. Smoke some more. It's good for you. They're numbed by the endless psychotropic drugs that are handed out at every school in the country by crackpots posing as counselors. And, of course, they're angry. They know that their lives will not be better than their parents'. They'll be worse. That's all but guaranteed. They know that. They're not that stupid. And yet the authorities in their lives, mostly women, never stops lecturing them about their so-called privilege. You're male. You're privileged. Imagine that. Try to imagine an unhealthier, unhappier life than that. So a lot of young men in America are going nuts. Are you surprised? 
And by the way, a shockingly large number of them have been prescribed psychotropic drugs by their doctors, SSRIs or antidepressants. And that would include quite a few mass shooters. And keep in mind, again, these drugs are meant to prevent crazy behavior. And yet there seems to be a connection. Eric Harris, the Columbine killer, was in both Zoloft and Luvox. A year earlier, a 15-year-old called Kip Kinkle shot his parents and dozens of classmates. He was on Prozac. In 2005, a 16-year-old called Jeff Wiesa killed his grandfather and 10 kids in Minnesota. He was on Prozac, too. So was 27-year-old Stephen Kamerzak, who murdered six people at Northern Illinois University. In 2012, you may recall, when 25-year-old James Holmes walked into a movie theater and shot 82 people. He was on Zoloft. The list goes on and on and on and on. It includes the shooter at the Washington Navy Yard. Tucker Carlson and white people, they're not in denial. Something's going wrong with their kids and they're talking about it. They're talking about all the drugs their kids are taking, the depression that their kids are going through. It's driving their kids insane. They're discussing it and talking about it. We, black people, act like improving white people will fix what's wrong in Philadelphia, Chicago, Baltimore, Minneapolis, and every other city with a large black population. We act like there's no benefit to improving us. We've swallowed the ideology of the Democratic Party. It's the ideology, the, the ideology of Beelzebub. Yesterday, I interviewed uh, Jerome Davison, a former running back for the Oakland Raiders, turned minister, turned political hopeful in Arizona. Davison made news last week when he released a provocative commercial that blasted Democrats as hooded Ku Klux Klansmen. Monday, during our interview, Davison amplified his attack on Democrats. Take a listen. I think we've got to stand up and fight against these people, the Democrats, because I believe that the evil one, the wicked one, Satan, has landed in their hearts, and we got to fight before they take away our freedoms. I'm sure to some of you that sounds hyperbolic and needlessly partisan. A Republican running for Congress argued that the political party of his opponents is possessed by demonic forces. It's not crazy, not to my ears, not if you understand black children are living in a Lord of the Flies reality. I have friends who are lifelong Democrats. Most members of my family, the people I love the most, are lifelong Democrats, Biden voters, Clinton lovers, Obama worshipers. None of them seem willing to deal with the unhealthy reality of too many black children living in a Lord of the Flies situation. You can't raise stable kids in unstable, unsupervised communities. Pronouns won't fix it. Critical race theory won't fix it. Villages can't raise kids. It takes two parents, a man and a woman, it takes a commitment to preaching and practicing morality. It takes biblical values. Lord of the Flies is a novel about what happens to young kids when they're separated from God's natural order and family structure. Beelzebub and the seven princes of hell take control. It's foolish and unproductive to blame the beast, white supremacy, for our collective disobedience to God. That disobedience cost James Lambert his life. 
Wednesday, we moved on to one of my favorite topics, LeBron James and his stupidity. LeBron James suggesting uh, on his show, The Shop, that if he were Brittany Griner, he wouldn't want to return to America. LeBron James is an idiot. I explain why. Take a listen. Maybe LeBron James is right about Brittany Griner, the WNBA player currently detained inside a Russian jail cell. Maybe the six foot eight female basketball player feels every bit as entitled as her NBA peers. Maybe Griner is just as delusional and stupid as King James. Athletic prowess undermines self-awareness and intellectual evolution. American culture baits the physically gifted to develop their bodies and ignore their minds. James's rewards have all been tied to his ability to shoot a basketball. That ability made him rich beyond his wildest dreams and provided him an audience for his intellectual pontifications. If LeBron couldn't shoot and dribble, he would have 50 to 75 social media followers and work the overnight shift at McDonald's. Instead, he's got like 100 million social media followers and people had to listen to what he says because he can dribble and shoot. My point is LeBron did not earn his public platforms in the intellectual Olympics. They're the spoils of America's athletic idolatry. Those spoils foment entitlement and delusion. That's why James suggested Griner should question returning to America when she's released from a Russian prison. Take it, take a listen for yourself. Brittany Griner, she is in Russia. She's been there over 110 days. Now, how can she feel like America has her back? I would be feeling like, do I even want to go back to America? Uh, LeBron James assumes Brittany Griner shares his delusion and entitlement. She's tall, athletic, and famous. At age 31, she apparently attempted to enter a foreign country with a small amount of an illegal drug. Russian authorities arrested her approximately 150 days ago. She's in the midst of a Russian show trial that could incarcerate her for the next 10 years. LeBron James blames America for her predicament. Of course he does. Griner's black. Anything bad that happens to black people anywhere on the planet is the fault of America and Trump supporters. Everybody knows that. Anything good that happens to black people is credited to the grace, mercy, sacrifice, and blood of white liberals and their only begotten son, Barack Obama. In King James's mind, Brittany Griner is a victim of America's white supremacy, affinity for black oppression, and misogyny. What other plausible explanation is there for Russian authorities to arrest and detain a high-profile black woman basketball player? I mean, what, what, what else could it be? It has to be America's fault. Vladimir Putin's regime handcuffed Brittany Griner at the behest of Donald Trump. That's it. Now it all makes sense. But, but I have a troubling question. So what explains the more than 40 other American citizens wrongfully detained by foreign governments across the globe? What explains the six months Danny Finster, an American journalist, spent locked inside a prison in Burma? 
Fenster is white. 60 Minutes did a segment on Fenster's imprisonment in February. The CBS News magazine explained that China wrongfully incarcerates more Americans than any other country. Imagine that, China. Now, LeBron James won't touch that fact. Or maybe he blames America for China detaining Americans. That's it. It's George Washington's fault. Well, how about how about Paul Whelan, a white former Marine? He's been incarcerated in Russia for four years. He was sentenced to a 16 year sentence for espionage. Unlike Griner, Whelan refused to plead guilty. It is believed Russia is holding him as a means to negotiate a prisoner swap with the United States. Should the U.S. government prioritize Brittany Griner's release of Head of Wayland's? And if so, why? Because she's tall, black, and can play basketball? Should America immediately cut a deal to bring Griner home? Let, let's think that through. Because LeBron hasn't thought through anything. So someone send LeBron this tape because I want to help him think this through about America doing whatever it can to bring Brittany Griner home. That could potentially jeopardize the safety of all Americans traveling abroad in countries hostile to the American government. LeBron, did you think about that? LeBron's lack of sophistication is embarrassing. China disappears and re-educates its own celebrities who stray from the government-approved narrative. James and other NBA players love to visit China to hawk athletic apparel and gym shoes. If the U.S. bends over to bring home Brittany Griner, one of James's NBA peers, or perhaps a low-level male player who plays overseas, might be the next U.S. citizen wrongfully detained and then held as a hostage for a prisoner trade swap with another country. But, but the entitled can't see beyond themselves. They're narcissists. They never assess their own culpability or responsibility. Mix narcissism and entitlement with a Marxist and victimhood mentality, and James's comments about Griner make perfect sense. America did it. America mistreated Brittany Griner in Russia. Why would she want to return to the freest country on the planet? She should relocate to Saudi Arabia or some country that knows how to treat black women. Maybe she should move to West Africa, where its ancestors sold its people into slavery. How about that? Try that. I'm sure China would treat Brittany like a queen. Tuesday, after TMZ brought attention to James's comments about Griner and America, the NBA superstar clarified his comments on Twitter, writing, quote, <clears throat> my comments on the shop regarding Brittany Griner wasn't knocking our beautiful country. I was simply saying how she's probably feeling emotionally along with so many other emotions, thoughts, etc. Inside that cage she's been in for over a hundred plus days. 
Long story short, hashtag bring her home. I, 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 I want to do that again because I want to make sure that we understand what LeBron tweeted here and that we, this guy is a genius. He's a public intellectual. These platforms we've given him, this voice we've given him, he is the embodiment. He's the next iteration of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Let's let's hear this quote again from his Twitter feed. My comments on the shop regarding Brittany Griner wasn't knocking our beautiful country. I was simply saying how she's probably feeling emotionally along with so many other emotions, thoughts, etc. inside that cage she's been in for over a hundred plus days. Long story short, hashtag bring her home. This guy's a genius. I mean, the way he matches subject and verb. My comments wasn't knocking America. I was just saying, bring Brittany home so we can continue to ignore her on the basketball court. Bring her home where she'll be mistreated here in America. Or let's send her to West Africa or China or Saudi Arabia or any place else on the globe. Any chance LeBron James could just limit his conversation to basketball. He knows basketball. He's an expert on athletics. He has no understanding of how the world works for ordinary people. How could he? He's been a spoiled, entitled, pampered athlete since the age of seven or eight. After he claimed, this is, this is, Let's take a look. Let's delve into LeBron's history of stupid, idiotic public statements that show his cluelessness. And you know exactly where I'm going because this is my favorite one. After he claimed a vandal spray painted a racial slur on his California mansion, LeBron James analogized himself to Emmett Till's mama. Emmett Till was a 14-year-old child murdered in Mississippi in 1955. His mother, Mamie Till, held an open casket funeral so people could see how badly beaten her son was. Now, let's compare that to the pain LeBron felt when he's at the NBA Finals in the Bay Area away from his primary home in Cleveland, when he hears news that, oh my God, my mansion in Brentwood has been vandalized. Someone has spray painted the N-word on my mansion in Brentwood. Oh my God, I feel like Emmett Till's mama when she learned that her 14-year-old boy had been brutally beaten and killed. So you're sitting at the NBA Finals. Your primary home is in Cleveland, Ohio. You get alerted 
that vandals have spray painted words on your $20 million mansion in California. And your first thought is, well, this is how Emmett Till's mama felt. Oh, let me open up this casket and show everybody the pain that I'm going through. Now, just keep in mind, his servants covered up and removed the alleged spray paint before police could even investigate. Do you understand? Before police could investigate, before the day was even over, let's say they discovered it at 7 a.m. Before police could get there, the police probably could have been there by 8, by 9, by 10, by 11, by 12. But LeBron's servants had removed it and covered it up, and, and the building looked like nothing had ever happened. Instantly. Well, that's exactly how Emmett Till's mama felt when her son was taken from her for life. LeBron James, and and again, I get it, I understand. If I had LeBron James's athletic talent, if I had his size and athleticism and wealth, had I been treated the way that he has been treated since age six or seven, I would be just as stupid as LeBron James. And I say that in all seriousness. I'm not trying to beat up the guy. Athletic talent is the enemy of intellectual evolution in this country. The smart play when you have that much athletic talent is to develop your body, not your mind. So I get it. And I have many friends. I I got a friend that I grew up with just as physically talented as LeBron James. His physical gifts are in different sports. I grew up with Jeff George. No one that I've ever met in my life had more athletic talent than Jeff George. And I know how we treated him. Now, he's smarter than LeBron James. I don't want to compare. I love Jeff, good friend of mine. I don't want to compare him to the idiocy of LeBron James. It's a special level of idiocy, idiocy that LeBron has. But I got why Jeff was the number one pick in the NFL, could have been a first round pick in baseball, could have played third base in the major leagues or pitched in the major leagues, could have been uh, a Cal Corver type in the NBA. There was virtually no sport that he could, could not excel at. But That type of talent undermines intellectual evolution. So LeBron James is exactly who he's supposed to be. But he needs some self-awareness that that's who he is. He's not a public intellectual. The shop, they should keep the S and the H and replace the O and a P with an I and a T because that's what it is. It's a shit show for idiots to sit around and pretend like they're saying something important. 
LeBron James is the modern-day Jethro Bodine. Years ago, Nike discovered an unlimited supply of athleticism buried in the womb of a single mother in Akron, Ohio. LeBron is the Beverly Hillbilly. Come and listen to my story about a man named LeBron, a big dumb jock barely kept his panties on. And then one day he was shooting at a hoop and up through the court come a China loving dude, a victim that is, black gold, race bait teeth. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, Thursday, uh, we started the show talking about Alex Stein and talking with Alex Stein, who, uh, you know, trolled. AOC <laughs> called her a big booty Latina. Uh, but we started a fire actually about Lamar Jackson. He's got beef with Bernard Pollard, a former Baltimore Raven Super Bowl champion. Is Lamar Jackson the next Cam Newton? Has he flamed out? Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens quarterback. I don't know if you guys uh, saw this over uh, overnight last night. He and Bernard Pollard uh, the former uh, Baltimore Ravens safety, Bernard Pollard, uh, known as the uh, Patriot Killer uh, from his playing days. He's a Super Bowl champion with the Baltimore Ravens, I believe, in 2012. Uh, man, they went back and forth. Uh, Bernard Pollard brought all the smoke. And this all kind of started because of let's let's start here let's unpack this in order before i bring steve kim on give you all the context to understand this this entire conversation but this started when espn put out a list of the top 10 quarterbacks uh in the nfl and i believe they consulted with front office people coaches and uh players and came up with a comprehensive list of the top 10 players in, uh, top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. And so I want to let me go over this list, which I somewhat disagreed with. But Aaron Rodgers, one, Patrick Mahomes, number two, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Joe Burrow, Matt Stafford, Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson. And then I thought things got interesting. Deshaun Watson, who didn't play last year, is listed number nine. Dak Prescott, who I think is overvalued and overpaid, is listed number 10. That's where there's a question about should Lamar Jackson be ahead of those two guys. Deshaun Watson didn't play last year. I don't know how he's in anybody's top 10. That blows my mind. But again, they consulted with executives, coaches, players, And that's the consensus. People have a lot of respect for Deshaun Watson based off of what he's done previously. People think that Dak Prescott uh, is good. I don't. I think he's overvalued. But that does not mean I would put Lamar Jackson in the top 10. I mean, Lamar Jackson last year, 16 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. 
He was injured. Uh, and so Bernard Pollard jumps in and puts out his top 10 NFL uh, quarterbacks. And keep in mind, Bernard Pollard is most famously known as a Baltimore Raven and the Patriot Killer. In 2008, he ended uh, Tom Brady's season uh, with a shot to his knee. Uh, I think he he ended Wes Welker. Wes Welker trying to avoid a tackle from Bernard Pollard hurt his knee. Uh, Rob Gronkowski at 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 some point in uh, during his career, Bernard Pollard fell on top of him uh, and injured his ankle. And then in 2012, in one of the most memorable uh, moments of Bernard Pollard's career, he hit Patriots running back uh, Stephen Ridley, helmet to helmet. But this was back when you could actually play football long ago. Remember, they used to be able to play football. You used to be able to hit guys hard. Well, Bernard Pollard hit Stephen Ridley in the AFC Championship game, caused a fumble that was critical to the Ravens uh, winning that playoff game. That's why Bernard Pollard is known as a Patriot killer. He has a big reputation in Baltimore and across the NFL. And Bernard Pollard, uh, I believe on, yeah, on two days ago, on July 12th, put out his top 10. This is in response to um, ESPN's list. He's got Rodgers, Mahomes, Brady, Allen, Wilson, Stafford, Derek Carr, the Raiders quarterback, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and Dak Prescott. He does not have Deshaun Watson on his list because Deshaun Watson did not play. He says that in a later tweet. That starts things interesting on July 12th. Yesterday, on July 13th, things got really interesting. Uh, Pollard's first tweet. No top wide receiver will ever come there while Lamar Jackson is there. Plenty of wide receivers have been available to get in the offseason while LJ has been starting, but nobody wants to go. Give him the respect, but they don't want to play with him. Lamar Jackson, LJ, is good, but he's not able to make the throws. Woo! That's awful smoky for a former Baltimore Raven. I think Lamar then responds back. You've been capping, and capping means lying. Since I've been playing for the Ravens, I never heard of you. Uh, but my boy, you got your Super Bowl cause of Ray Lewis and Ed Reed that year. Uh, Bernard Pollard fires back. Facts are facts. Make sure you call me champ. Good luck getting one. He's talking about a Super Bowl ring. Lamar then fires back. Never. Nobody speak of you. I had to Google you, little bruh. I never heard of you until I seen you keep dissing like you was a Hall of Famer, but you're far from it across the ocean like overseas. Lamar Jackson then has other tweets. The tweets are, are somewhat now irrelevant to the, just the conversation that needs to be had about Lamar Jackson. Bernard Pollard has said some things that people actually believe. And, and I just want to go on record, and I hate to do this, but I'm going to go on record. I'm a Lamar Jackson fan. I love Lamar Jackson's attitude. I love that he doesn't make excuses. He's, he's been far better in the NFL than I anticipated. I love his attitude, what he represents the whole nine. But 
Bernard Pollard is not capping. He's not lying. Lamar Jackson still has things to prove. And I know two years ago he won an MVP. He electrified the league. Arguably had the greatest season in the history of quarterbacks ever in the NFL. You go look at what he did running the ball, what he did throwing the ball that year. It is arguably the greatest season a quarterback ever had. But he's starting to look like Cam Newton. You remember when Cam Newton arguably had the greatest season a quarterback's ever had? Took the Carolina Panthers on a 15-1 run all the way to the Super Bowl. Didn't hop on a fumble in the Super Bowl. Didn't play well in the Super Bowl. Got destroyed, uh, I believe, by the Denver Broncos in that Super Bowl. And then it was all downhill from there. Is that what we're looking at with Lamar Jackson? Is he the next Cam Newton? And if he is the next Cam Newton... I'm going to tell you why that is. It's because corporate media, ESPN, liberal media, woke media wants to protect Lamar Jackson from criticism. We can't even or ESPN. We're going to have the discussion, but ESPN won't even allow an authentic, real conversation about Lamar Jackson. Because ESPN has been so feminized and so wokenized and so liberalized that they're afraid to talk about Lamar Jackson because he's a black quarterback and he's a special kind of black quarterback where, again, it's like you can criticize Patrick Mahomes. He's half black, half white. You can criticize Russell Wilson because he's too prim and proper to get the full black status treatment uh, that the NFL reserves for Lamar Jackson. You can criticize Deshaun Watson now because he's got all these rape allegations. But before that, you couldn't touch him. Lamar Jackson lives in that protective bubble that Cam Newton lived in, where people were afraid to criticize Cam Newton out of fear of being called racist. And that bubble that's there allegedly to protect Lamar Jackson could potentially cripple Lamar Jackson the same way it crippled Cam Newton. We throw a pity party for black people and black quarterbacks and pity doesn't pay any bills. We die by pity. They're going to kill Lamar Jackson with pity and excuse. Friday, we wrapped up the show talking about America's obsession with content creation. We think we're living in the age of content creators. We're actually living in the age of content destroyers. All these content creators are destroying America, destroying mankind. And you know what? Women are at the forefront. They're the queen pins of content destruction. We think... We're living in the age of content creators. We're not. We're living in the age of content destroyers. We weaponize smartphones, arming them with social media platforms that turned IBM's original invention into a weapon of mass destruction. Women and children are being slaughtered first. Pardon this generalization, but women and children desire attention the way men crave sex. 
Studies suggest men think about sex 19 times a day or about as many times as women check Instagram for likes. IG is the internet holy ground for attention and whores. Women seek attention and men hunt for whores. Bikinis and yoga pants are the lowest common denominator that tie men and women together on Instagram. Facebook and Twitter rely on debauchery and criminal activity. Women are the queen pins of the social media dopamine epidemic. They sell dopamine hits on every internet corner. Darnella Frazier is the dopamine goat. She recorded the George Floyd video and America's journalistic institutions made her a hero for doing so, awarding her a Pulitzer Prize for content that inspired mass destruction. I'm not villainizing Darnella Frazier. She captured the final nine minutes of George Floyd's 46 years on this earth. Her video told a tiny, tiny percentage of what led to Floyd's death. It provided a distorted image of Floyd and police officer Derek Chauvin. It provoked emotion, chaos, and division far more than it revealed truth. That's what content destroyers do. They unwittingly create distorted content that leads to destruction. Young girls experience gender dysphoria at an alarming rate in modern America. They're suffering depression at rates much higher than previous generations. We shouldn't be surprised. They stare at their smartphones all day, swiping past pictures of seemingly perfectly sculpted women having the time of their lives. And then they wonder why they don't look like that or live like that. It's all an illusion created by volunteer content destroyers. The peer pressure to experiment with sex at age six, seven, and eight years old is unprecedented. The pressure is driven by the sexualized content fueling the social media apps in our smartphones. Last week, a state senator from Rhode Island, Tiara Mack, released a TikTok video of herself wearing a bikini, standing on her head and twerking. Mac's mission in life and politics is to teach young kids about sexuality and gender. She's unapologetically black and queer. She wants to recruit more people to her way of life. But let's credit Mac for having a life mission. Most content destroyers just want attention by any means necessary. This week, a woman was captured on video climbing through a McDonald's drive-through window to fix her own food because the employees said they couldn't because they ran out of gloves. The woman obviously did not record herself, but her motive is clear. She wants attention. That is the goal in life, attention. We've developed a generation with no higher calling or purpose than the seeking of attention and fame. Individual Truman shows, Everybody, women and men, want to be the next Kim Kardashian. We spend every moment wondering if what we're doing is worthy of a selfie, a tweet, an IG or Facebook post. Selfarazzi is more dangerous and damaging than paparazzi. Three women vandalized a late night french fry restaurant in New York last week 
as a crowd of mostly men recorded them. Media reports claim the drunken women were angered when an employee charged them $1.25 for a dipping sauce. I don't buy it. Drunk actions are sober thoughts. The women wanted attention. Videotape debauchery and criminal activity are easy ways to get it. The women channeled their inner T.R. Mack. But let's get to the worst example of all of this. On Wednesday, prosecutors in Philadelphia charged a 14-year-old girl with third-degree murder in the beating death of James Lambert, a 73-year-old man. Surveillance cameras captured a group of kids chasing and beating Lambert at 3 a.m. A 14-year-old boy was charged in the murder earlier this week. According to media reports, Lambert asked the kids why they were out so late at night. Police said one of the young girls involved in the attack handed her cell phone to a 10-year-old boy and asked the child to record the attack on Lambert. We're obsessed with creating content. We've created content destroyers. Smartphones and social media apps cultivate a deadly cultural narcissism. It's impossible to love and respect others when you focus all of your attention on loving and admiring yourself. Modern culture baits us to see ourselves as individual gods. We self-worship at the churches we construct on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. The children who videotaped themselves stoning and beating James Lambert to death reflect the values of our time, the culture we've cultivated. They're as narcissistic as our leaders, our educators, and our celebrities. They remind me of Sarah Lopez, the pro-abortion witness who testified before the House Oversight Committee on Wednesday. Lopez called abortion an act of self-love. Listen for yourself. Relatively smoothly, um, but what these restrictions are intended to do is try and make people, try and stop people from having abortions. But abortion is healthcare. Um, my abortion was the best decision I ever made. It was an act of self-love, and I'm here today to make sure that everybody who currently needs an abortion, who has had an abortion or will need an abortion, is not alone, no matter what the state tries to force upon us. Thank you. The content culture destroys women and children, which means it destroys mankind. All right. If you're listening on YouTube or go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock, hit the like and subscribe. If you're listening on Apple, give me that five-star review. Leave a comment. You know you know, I love you guys' comments. Uh, join the Fearless Army. Get you some Fearless Army swag and gear. Uh, go to shopblazemedia.com uh, backslash fearless. All right, have an awesome, awesome weekend, and I'll see you on Monday.